0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I don't know exactly where to start, so I guess we'll get this out of the way. And I'll be honest, I haven't really been paying too much attention to this whole story, so the details somewhat um, elude me. So if I get something wrong, then my bad. So I saw this. I think Clayton uh, brought this to our light in the Discord via the Daily Mail. Brett Favre fights back. Hall of Famer sues ex-NFL players and TV hosts Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee over defamatory allegations relating to his $77 million welfare fraud scheme. So most people I've seen are freaking out about this. My first thought was, well, wait a minute. Did I miss something here? Because you can't sue somebody for defamation if what they're saying is true. As far as I know, I could be wrong. I'm not exactly a legal expert either. Maybe the way you present it, I don't know. And even after having read the article, I'm still somewhat confused as to what's going on here, aside from massive incompetence. um, We know for a fact that the government misused funds... I'm 95% sure Brett Favre did something wrong. And then a couple guys talked about it, and Brett Favre's pissed. Here's what it says. Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee tried to further their careers by making baseless, defamatory allegations against Brett Favre, a spokesman for the 53-year-old told Daily Motion. Excuse me, Daily Mail. That's a different site. Sharp, a Hall of Fame tight end with the Broncos and Ravens, called Favre a sleazeball on his FS1 show in September while accusing the retired quarterback of knowingly stealing $1.1 in Mississippi welfare funds in exchange for speeches he never made. McAfee, a former Colts punter who now holds a popular SiriusXM podcast, accused Favre of stealing from the poor people of Mississippi. Now again, I'm reading this going, I thought this was common knowledge and even Favre recognized it and was like, my bad, dude. Then it goes on to say, Favre has not been charged in the case, which has already resulted in several guilty pleas, and he has since repaid $1.1 million. However, Favre refused to pay $228,000 in interest being charged to him by White, this is the person who's a government official or something, I don't know, while insisting that he did not know the origin of the funds he received. In December, the Mississippi Department of Human Services dropped its $1.1 million demand from Favre, admitting he repaid the debt, while issuing a new $5 million demand saying he used anti-poverty funds to pay for a volleyball arena at his alma mater, the University of Southern Mississippi. He's also suing this white guy um, for claiming that Favre knew the origins of the funds. Here's the part that... Look, I, I don't really care what the lynch mob on social media wants to do and everything else. I understand that they all got their own thing going on and... Peyton Favre and all that stuff. But like I I genuinely want to know what's going on here. So here's what went through my head at first. What well, number 1, I don't know whether or not Brett Favre knew cuz I haven't been digging in or other but but my first thought was what if he didn't know? It seems unlikely, but what if he didn't? Okay, the second thought. If there was very clear documented evidence that he knew, why would he come forward with these lawsuits? Then I read the text messages. <laughs> now, I'm sure he could try to find some kind of a loophole here or something. I don't know. But here is at least one of the text messages that uh, went back and forth between Brett Favre and somebody else. Okay? Um, if you were to pay me, this is Brett Favre speaking, is there any way, and he put that as one word, the media can find out where it came from and how much. Answer, no, we never, have, uh, we never have had that information publicized. I understand you being uneasy about that, though. Let me see what happens on Monday with the conversation with some of the folks at Southern. Maybe it will click with them, hopefully. Brett, okay, thanks. Response, wow, just got off the phone with Phil Bryant. He's on board with us. We will get this done. Brett, awesome. I needed to hear that for sure. Um, Brett's message doesn't make a lot of sense if he doesn't know where the money came from. Is there any way the media can find out where it came from? How about this? Would you mind telling me where it came from? Why would he be... W- so, <sighs> I just, I, I don't understand what he's doing here. Right? Because again, it doesn't make any sense. Number one, it sounds like they dropped it. Right. He paid back most of the money, but not all of it. He basically said, stick it with your interest and everything else. Here's this much. I didn't know where it came from. Shove it. And so the government, not surprisingly, because it was them who gave the money to him, were like, oh, yeah, dude, it's cool. Thanks for the money back that I gave you illegally. <laughs> I know the government isn't a person necessarily, and we're talking about different people, but still, um, it makes sense that considering they're the incompetent ones on top of everything else uh, and corrupt to uh, not necessarily laud over with morality and whatnot. But it's they let it go. And now the money's gone, right? And the deal is settled. Nobody's talking about it. Some people are talking about it. Very few. A couple, like four people on Twitter are still talking about it. Maybe two on Facebook. I don't know. One or two on Instagram, maybe. Probably not. But that's it. So all you got to do is go live your life. Probably not going to get a lot of commercials. Maybe this is just about you not having money anymore, and you're like, hey, I got an idea. I'll try to get millions of dollars from super rich guys that have great careers. But it ain't going to work, dude. You can't say they're, they're being defamatory if they're just telling the truth. Unless there's some, I don't know, man, maybe there's some kind of deniability here. Because you can't 100% say that I knew, even though I clearly knew something and was worried about it. It just, it it feels like a money grab. He's going after like super popular, super wealthy people after he just gave away all his money. Dude's probably broke. Maybe not. I don't know. He, he had, for a while, he had like some websites, some sports website. I don't know if that's still a thing. I would imagine it's losing money more than gaining money. Maybe he's got some kind of business thing. I'm sure he could probably go give a speech somewhere and make a couple hundred thousand dollars. I don't I don't know. With all this stuff going on, maybe he can't. And maybe part of this is him trying to clear his name. But look, dude, just go away. Go away. It's over. They dropped the case. You got off lucky that you didn't go to prison. Like, you know, if I had done it, I'd be in prison. You get out because you're Brett Favre. So take that. Be happy. And stop it. Just go away, man. So now he's going to spend a ton of money on lawyers who probably convince him this is a great idea. He's going to lose his lawsuit because these guys have way more money and more resources and are probably going to be backed by, I mean, it's not just Pat McAfee by himself. I'm sure his company is going to be involved. So there's a lot of financial backing there. Same with Shannon, who has even a larger company backing him. If in fact they do decide to back him, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Favre is going to get crushed, and he's going to lose more money, and he's going to look like a bigger d-bag because he looks like he's throwing a hissy fit about somebody making fun of him because what he did was criminal, and is trying to grab more money after this whole scandal about him stealing money. I would just, I would just love to understand his thought process on this because I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm probably missing something maybe probably kind of sort of we'll see how this all pans out, but I, I don't know, man. Anyways, it's, it's mostly an irrelevant thing. I just, I don't know. First of all, we haven't talked about Brett Favre pretty much ever aside from just randomly bringing him up as a comparison or something or how much I loved watching him as a kid. But uh I wish it was under better circumstances, you know, but it's not. Anyways, um speaking of people throwing stuff in the Discord, JJ brought this up, which means it's probably going to be on his podcast as well, but we'll talk about it anyways. An article written by Bill Huber, what could the Packers receive if they if they trade Rodgers? I don't want to read this entire thing. Um but essentially, looks like Huber talked to some uh executives this is, again, what Schefter did when he went around and asked people and then said, according to NFL sources, kind of thing. He just went around and asked random people. Um, random's a little unfair. They're they're executives, but that could be like 14th person down the pecking order in the executive tree of some random team. But anyways, uh, asked about the situation with the Green Bay Packers and how much they thought we could get for Aaron Rodgers. Bottom line, there seems to be a consensus that nobody would be willing – or comfortable to give up more than a one, and not a high one at that. In fact, most of what was said in this article is basically what we've already said, what I've already said about the issue. Um, First comment here says, The messiness of all this described probably doesn't make it a simple answer, but I think there's enough teams that are desperate enough that they would probably give up more than they should. I would say the best-case scenario is a one just because he's so talented. He didn't play great this year, but there's still flashes of brilliance. So again, one executive said what? a one. Next one says, if you assume he's going to give you a chance to compete for a Super Bowl, a one is nothing, the executive said of a first round pick. Anything outside of that probably becomes a little bit rich because of what you're taking on. The team who's trading for him is doing the Packers just as much of a favor as they're benefiting themselves from the trade. So there's a balance. So there's two now that said a one and nothing more. There's enough leverage in a vacuum that a team doesn't have to give up a ton, but if Green Bay does a good job of creating a market and there's competition, then you throw all that stuff out of the window, I think it probably nets a 1. In other words, he's not worth a 1, but there should be enough competition to get it up to a first-round pick. Someone else says, Personally, I wouldn't feel comfortable trading for him if I didn't have some type of protection, the executive said. Goes on to say he didn't think the Raiders would give up their first pick at number 7, but thought their second-round pick and an additional pick to make it an equivalent of a first round pick, plus a conditional first rounder in 2024 could get it done. And then he goes on to say, based on this trade value chart, the Raiders' second and third round picks are equivalent to the 25th overall, which, by the way, people would lose their mind if we got a second and a third, because everybody would say that it's a failure, plus there's the third, year, the, the third round curse. But overall, essentially, they're giving us a first round pick. But nobody would be happy with it, because what we want is something that actually says first round. Somebody else goes on to say, you got to do what you got to do to get him, but uh, something where you're not giving up picks for a 40 year old quarterback that you don't know will play, he said. A Rodgers trade would be a fr- this is Huber now uh, narrating, but essentially says a Rodgers trade would be a franchise altering move and not just for the Packers who would be moving on from a surefire fire hall of Famer and handing the reins to an unproven Jordan Love. For the acquiring team, Rodgers could deliver a Super Bowl championship, he could also deliver disappointment. Those extremes actually could work in Green Bay's favor. Who cares about giving up a first-round pick if you're wearing a Super Bowl ring? It always comes down to if you need a quarterback, one executive said, like the Jets. They need a quarterback. I don't think they'd give up more than a one, but it doesn't matter for them anyways because they'd get fired if the trade doesn't work out, so they don't care, which essentially makes sense. It's an all-in proposition. And that that is another variable that should be looked at is, is GMs that are desperate, GMs that are on the hot seat. If, if an owner is if, if looking at a GM and a GM knows that I've basically got one more year to get this figured out or I'm about to get fired, this makes perfect sense. Now, you'd have to get the owner to sign off on it because he's not just going to green light something like this, but that would be a great situation because if the team massively improves, now all of a sudden, based on public scrutiny, even if you get into the playoffs and lose, it's hard to get fired that year. Maybe next year you're going to get fired, but it'd be hard to get fired that year. So you get one more, to collect a, one more year to collect a paycheck. And if it doesn't pan out, well, it wasn't going to work out, for example, with the Jets anyways, with whatever garbage quarterbacks you had going on there. So you're going to get fired either way, which is something else to consider. Um, I think we always think about how teams need to be thinking more long term, but that isn't necessarily the right calculus because most of the people aren't necessarily, well, I I shouldn't put it that way. They're thinking long term, but their, their motivation is their career, right? So we always think as fans about what is best for the team but that's not always exactly that there's a lot of parallels but that's not always the case the gm's number one job ultimately is his career and generally if you take care of the team you take care of your career but there might sometimes be a split there and short term payoff can sometimes trump long term payoff and that's true for owners as well but anyways i don't know exactly how many guys he talked to how many of these were different people as opposed to the same executives just going back and forth but there was clearly a unanimous consensus that a, a nobody would go above a number one, and that was including teams going crazy. In other words, the, the consensus generally was if there's enough interest, if they can gin up enough teams fighting for them, they could work up to getting a number one. It will not be a high one. It sounds like the ceiling would be like the Jets pick 13 if we could even get that, and that would be it nothing more. And that's assuming it's a 2023 pick and not a 2024 pick. Now we would, it would probably be beneficial if it was 2024 for multiple reasons, as much as we don't like that. Cause we want something cool to cool happen now, but well, for, for one reason, we'd have a year to evaluate Jordan love and decide if we need to use that pick on a quarterback. Number two, this is a bad draft class. So it's better to accumulate assets next year. Number three, it's better on our salary cap to make it a post June one trade. number four, Late picks always carry more value than early picks. I don't know why. I don't think they should. There's a premium put on uh, on patience. And so what might be a 2023 second round pick could be a 2024 first round pick. Why in the world would you not take the first round pick? Because you want it now? Well, that's stupid. So for every reason, it would probably be, be better if we ended up getting all next year picks or at least a combination. If they If they essentially wanted to give two seconds, but they... it materialized as a 2023 second and a 2024 first, that's fantastic. Because guess what? In 2024, it ain't going to look like a second round pick. You know why? Because it's not. It's a first round pick. You were just an idiot last year. And that team isn't going to say, oh, it doesn't matter because it's a 2024 first in 2024. No, it's a first round pick, dude. I'll never understand that. Again, if I was a GM and I had a lifetime appointment, I would do nothing but trade back for next year's assets and I would own the entire first round in like 5 years cuz everyone's an idiot. I'll trade all my second round picks for first round picks. <laughs> <laughs> if I give you my second this year, will you give me and if I give, what if I give you my third this year, Will you give me a second next year? And if I give you a fourth, will you give me a third and and so on, like I'll trade my entire draft class this year aside from my first and you're going to give me your first for my second, your second for my third, your it's so I just get to move up. That's amazing. You are an idiot. And congratulations on taking my entire draft this year. Best of luck to you, freaking moron. But you know why? Where? Because there's, there's clearly a, uh, um, a value gap. Like what makes up the, the difference in value? The premium that's put on now because of the fear of your career. I can't be focusing on next year because if I fail this year, I won't have a next year. So they're essentially selling next year's assets, just donating them in order to secure this year's assets, paying a premium for this year. And I would be the guy that would just take full advantage of that. That's awesome to me. I, I, I don't get it, and I don't care. And I, yes, we should, we should be focusing on getting 2024 assets. I don't want them because I want a great draft because it's coming up and I want to have fun. But let's be completely honest. That would be entirely better if we just raked in 2024 assets. So we'll see. Again, I we talk a lot about this trade scenario, even though there's a sub fifty percent chance that it's going to happen. Right. The the him coming back and him retiring adds up to more than 50%. I think it has to. But um it certainly is interesting. And and it it's one of those things where it we talk about it so much it feels like it's an automatic thing. And then when you really think about it, it's like there's no way. There's no freaking way that we're about to get breaking news in like two weeks about a massive trade for one of the greatest players in Green Bay Packers history. And we're moving out like th- like this could actually be a real thing that we're about to find out. I can't even, there's no way. Rogers is coming back. Nothing ever changes. Anyways, I want to kind of move on to the draft because that's kind of uh, all I got left. There's not a whole lot going on. So this is a pretty good natural break spot. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I would also encourage you to please check out fertilegroundranch.org. See if that is an organization you'd be willing to support. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. So I want to start off with this. Why don't we talk about what exactly is about to happen as uh the offseason rolls on? Obviously, we got the Super Bowl coming up in a few days. February 21st is the beginning date to franchise or transition players. This obviously is going to have major impacts on the well, the NFL in general. Who you who teams are drafting, trades, free agent acquisitions. It all depends on whether guys stay or go or whatever. So that's going to be February 21st through March 7th. NFL scouting combine, February 28th through March 6th. This is a major, major, major point as far as the NFL draft is concerned. Number one, finding out the measurables. But again, number two, similar to the Senior Bowl, this is when everybody gets together. This is when people start talking. This is when we start getting some serious intel and things kind of explode in terms of you know, needing to stay on top of all the latest news and information. Probably start hearing a little bit of rumors about the Green Bay Packers. March 7th through April 19th, this is when teams can bring in players for physical evals. They have 30 non-local players. And then, of course, the Packers can bring in local guys, so Badgers and whatnot. In that same period, but somewhat longer until April 26th, you have video or telephone interviews with draft-eligible players. So again, we're going to be hearing... News and notes about uh, people that have done interviews with the Green Bay Packers. March 13th through the 15th says, during this period beginning 9 a.m. L.A. time on March 13th. It's weird they're using L.A. time. wonder if that's this site specifically. Usually it's New York time. Anyways, clubs are permitted to contact and enter into contract negotiations with the certified agents of players who will become unrestricted free agents upon the expiration of their 2022 player contracts at 1 p.m. L.A. time on March 15th. That's a month away. month and a week is when free agency starts. So, I mean, it really goes rapid fire. You got the combine. You got free agency, which is massive. Of course, March 15th is the official new league year, all this stuff. And remember, by this point, we're going to know the situation with Aaron Rodgers. So we're going to know about Rodgers. We're going to know about Love. We're going to know more specifically about our needs. We're going to know more about the draft prospects. We're going to know more about who the Packers have been talking to. This is all in the next month, month and a half. And so again, for people that are like, oh, you're, you're, you're going way too early with this draft stuff. We are so unbelievably behind. <laughs> it's crazy. And then there's a couple little piddly things in between in terms of uh, right of fierce refusal, blah, blah, blah. But April 27th through the 29th is the NFL draft in Kansas City, Missouri. Also of importance, May 1st deadline for clubs to exercise fifth year option. So at this point, Again, with the rapid fire, we have to make a decision on Jordan Love. That's going to be an easy decision to make. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. Well, yeah, I, I, I just I shouldn't say it, period. We'll see what's going on with Jordan Love. So that's for starters. This is how things are going to be laid out for the next couple months. There is a dead period uh, as far as NFL coverage goes, and we are not in it. And when the Super Bowl's over, we're still not in it. We're not in it until, pff, until all of this stuff is done. And honestly, as soon as these things end, you got a couple things going on. Rookie uh, this or that or, uh, you know, little things coming in. We may not get a lot of news, but there's always something going on. So we absolutely do not need to worry about that. So kind of all over the place, but I wanted to start off with this here. Um, A lot of talk, especially if you listen to um, Packernet After Dark, the call-in show about B. John Robinson. A lot of people want to just pull the trigger and say if he's available at 15 or 13, if we happen to have that pick or whatever, that um, we should go ahead and pull the trigger, that he's the guy that we should get. An additional counterpoint to that, aside from the obvious, which is you never draft a running back that early, the value's not there, blah, 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 would be this. Um, An article by Ian Cummings over at Pro Football Network. The article isn't necessarily important, but I'll give him credit because this is what sparked my thought on this. But it says 2023 running back draft class. Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs highlight a deep class. As weak as this draft class seems to be, at the top, uh, as far as how many first round picks, how many draftable players, just quality across the board. There, there's maybe one wide receiver. One. There's barely any first round wide receivers. Though the quarterbacks are weak. The pass rushers are weak. It's just weak across the board. The the one area, and tight end would probably be included in this, but one of the areas, one of the few areas of strength is running back. That is to say, if we genuinely felt that running back was an important thing, and I know this isn't necessarily the B. John Robinson argument. It certainly wouldn't be my argument, but let's just go with this for a second. If we're saying that running back is an area of, of importance and need and is an area where if we got a stud, it could really help out our team. We can skip Bijan Robinson and still end up with a very good player. I don't see how we get Jameer Gibbs unless we're trading back, but it's not just a two man race. Ian Cummings lists the um, running backs in alphabetical order, and it would take me about a half hour to read off all these names. There's a lot of them. He goes on to say there are dozens upon dozens of running back prospects in the talent pool for the 2023 NFL draft. And he adds that, you know, not all these guys are going to be drafted. However, it goes on to say, in recent years, undrafted free agents like Austin Eckler, James Robinson, and Philip Lindsay have all gone on to carve out respectable careers. Before their time, stalwarts like Arian Foster, LeGarrette Blunt, Pierre Thomas, and Ben Jarvis Green got their starts within the undrafted free agent pool. So there's dozens and dozens and dozens of guys, but only about half of this list will get drafted. But of the guys that don't get drafted, there's still the potential. For guys that are going to go on to have good careers, it says Robinson and Gibbs lead the way as the near consensus running back one and two of the group respectively, but have uh, uh, both have first round ability. And Robinson has been lauded as the near generational prospect. Now that is that is the actual argument for Robinson. But continuing past Robinson and Gibbs, however, there are plenty of high value options in the early, middle, and late rounds. Early declares like Zach Evans, Israel Abanikanda. Tajay Spears, Sean Tucker, Kendre Miller have plenty of fans in the scouting community, while senior prospects like Zach Charbonnet, uh, Rashawn Johnson, Eric Gray, and Kenny McIntosh provide just as much appeal. Bottom line, this is the year to need a running back. This class not only has top-end talent, but it it also has incredible depth and variety, which teams can capitalize to strengthen their running back rotations league-wide. And the, the great thing about it, is that there are a lot of teams that don't need running back and won't be drafting running back. And so as the, um, and this happens with mock drafts all the time, you'll notice you get to a point where it's like the first five selections as far as value will be running backs. Why? Because there's more valued running backs than there are teams that want to draft running backs. And so you get to the point in the third round, the fourth round, whatever, where the four or five best players available will all be running backs or tight ends or whatever, wherever the depth is. And so if you are on the train, if, if let's just say, because again, I actually think the argument, at least mine for Bijan Robinson is number one, take the best player available. And he is the best player available. He's arguably, according to some people, the best player in the entire draft. I think Daniel Jeremiah was just looking a week or two ago. He did his top 50 board, had him as the fourth best prospect. How often let's, let's do this as an argument for Bijan. When was the last time the Packers even had an opportunity to draft the top five talent in the draft? I have no idea when that honesty would be, unless you thought Rashawn Gary was a top five prospect, which maybe some people in the building did. Um, I couldn't tell you. A truly blue chip talent never comes to Green Bay, not on purpose, not, not pre-draft. I mean, there are guys that slip through the cracks that end up becoming that. But when was the last time a true blue chip player went to the Packers? I think that's probably the best argument for Bijan, at least in my opinion. However, if through this process of talking about Bijan and looking at him and all that has got you excited about the idea of an elite running game, running back, etc., what I would say is that you should expand out your search for running backs and realize that this is a much deeper class. And some of these really talented guys that go you know, the, the top running backs in the past five years or so that have gone. These are guys that you're going to find late first, early second, who knows, possibly even third round. So I wanted to at least familiarize ourselves with some of the guys that they're talking about here. And again, a lot of this will end up coming down to personal preference and what kind of uh, running back you're interested in. But, um, and 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 again, the, the rankings are kind of all over the place depending on where you look. But we'll just look at, for example, the NFL Mock Draft Database. Um next they have Devin a. chain, 5 foot 9, 185, somewhat of a smaller guy, but his projected forty time 424. 3 years at Texas A&M. Uh his grades did go down every year, which isn't great, but has been borderline elite every year, 91, 90 and then 82 this past year. More importantly, it was his rushing grade that was elite every year, 92, 91, 90. Um just been putting it on every year. Uh, In three years, he ran for 2,349 yards. Now, granted, year one, he didn't play a ton, but uh, 6.4 yards per attempt on average. He had 21 touchdowns and only two fumbles. 3.93 yards after contact per attempt. 106 missed tackles forced. Very shifty player. 76 yards was his longest run. 74 yards over 10 yards. 42 over 15 yards. Didn't do a ton of damage as a receiver, but you have to assume that this is an area where they could certainly develop him being sort of a smaller, shifty speed guy. Um, But this past year, he had uh, 82% receiving reception percentage, 196 yards and three touchdowns. Only 21 years old, so um, highly athletic. He's a smaller guy, but extremely athletic, very productive, very consistent, young prospect. And if nothing else, special teams experience. He has uh, 20 kick returns under his belt for 622 yards, 31.1 yards per attempt, and two touchdowns in his two years doing it. In only 20 attempts, he has two touchdowns as a kick returner. couple of notes that I had on him from the Athletic Elite Speed, a home run hitter with terrific lateral quickness and vision in the hole. Uh, Devin A. Chain posted a 10.14 second time in the 100-meter dash and a 2020 in the 200-meter as part of Texas A&M's track team. He has elite all-everything speed and can go from nothing to woe in a hiccup. In another uh, article, actually I think it's the same one, he's actually projected to be a late first, early second prospect. While A-Chain has size concerns and still hasn't shown everything that's possible as a pass catcher, he's very young, very fast, and very tough. He's definitely going to be in the round two mix, if not late round one. If you're looking for more of an upright, um, it's a little unfair, but more of an AJ Dillon type, you got Zach Charbonnet, 22 years old, six foot one, 220 pounds, hard to bring down guy. So you start talking about Charbonnet. Now you're talking about a Packers backfield that has a six foot one, 220 pound running back as the smaller of the two, but he's been uh, two years at Michigan, two years at UCLA, two elite years, um, amazingly. Charbonnet in 2022 his lowest grade is a 72.6 his highest is a 79.6 I don't think I've ever seen something so consistent in my life but seven yards per attempt 14 touchdowns one fumble 4.15 yards after contact you got Zach Evans out of Ole Miss he's kind of maybe pushing a little bit more of a late second early third round grade which apparently he was unhappy about and considering going back to school over but young prospect six foot 215 Two years at TCU. Best year was his second year at TCU, 85 grade. Um, seven yards per attempt for his career, his last year was at Ole Miss, 77 grade, 80.8 rushing grade. So again, we can go through probably ten more prospects, not going to, but just something to consider. And that's assuming you're even interested in that. Because if Aaron Jones stays and for multiple years and AJ Dillon's here for multiple years, probably don't need anything more than depth. Which is still a good thing. If you're thinking, hey, let's see if we can get a somewhat higher quality RB3, you probably get a better, you know, if you swing in the sixth round, it's going to be a pretty solid sixth round pick as compared to, you know, other years. All right. um, So the way that this all got... Laid out, you're probably wondering why I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. Well, it's because this was the episode that was supposed to be posted yesterday, so it wasn't supposed to be about the Super Bowl. But I don't have much to say about the Super Bowl, anyways. Feels weird not talking about it on the Super Bowl, but I've kind of expressed everything that I have to say. I do think I'll be rooting officially for the Eagles. I genuinely don't like or care for either of these teams. Um, As far as I'm concerned, and this is where I'm kind of at odds with a lot of people as far as like, well, let's wait for the season to finish, and then, then we can kind of worry about the draft and the offseason. Like, let's just calm down. The season ended for me when the Packers got eliminated from the playoffs. The rest of this, don't really care. It's kind of like, you know, I, I mean, I really get frustrated because I'm trying to find offseason information, and you got the draft network, which is nothing but the draft, supposedly, and they're talking about the Super Bowl. Again, it makes sense, but it's like, I'm trying... Real hard to find something, anything, and everybody's just like, Super Bowl, dude, Super Bowl. It's like, man, I cannot wait for this to be done, and we can move on. You know, Give it like a solid two, three days of people just talking about the Super Bowl and about the calls and all the nonsense, and um, then we can move on, and it'll be glorious. We can talk about free agency. We can talk about the draft, and nobody has anything else to do even people that hate the draft, guess what? You got nothing else to do. So crank out those articles, start calling people, start talking to people, figure out what's going on and get back to me. But um, I'm hoping to enjoy the event, but I'm mostly looking forward to it just being over. It's an excuse to hopefully do something fun with the family, an excuse to make some food, excuse for to ask my wife to pick up some steaks, because I generally don't do that because they're expensive. But I was like, hey, Super Bowl, you're already at the grocery store. She asked me, like, what do you need from the store? And usually me being, like, cheap or whatever, I'm like, "Uh, bread and some salt be good. This time I'm like, uh, milk. Anything else? Oh, pff, gee, I don't know, man. Ugh, steaks or something? And my wife, she doesn't care. She's like, what kind of steak you want? I'm like, I don't know, whatever's on sale. She's like, no, just tell me what the good ones are. I'm like, I don't know, just get the cheapest crap you can find. I don't care. She comes home with New York strip and uh, ribeye every single time, and I'm like, you're the best. Thank you for never listening to me when I tell you to be cheap. And she is thrifty. She's extremely uh, frugal, which makes it all the more awesome when she comes through with, like, the best steaks whenever I ask for it. It's one of those things where I don't ask for much, so when I do, she wants it to be good. and She's cool, man. But there, there is a slim, slight chance or some talk in the background about maybe doing some kind of a live stream... We'll see um, if the rest of the family wants to get together. I'd like to do that. Um, We got kids ranging from 2 to 17. So if there's ever an event that everybody wants to participate in, I'm going to have to shut it down and be like, all right, let's do this because this will be cool, especially if that thing is football. But if nobody else really cares and it's just me and my son, maybe we'll just fry up some steaks, come on downstairs, and we'll do some kind of a stream thing or whatever. So we shall see how it goes. But um, I'm just going to leave it at that. I have a couple other things, but they are not pertaining to the draft. And I said we're moving on, and I don't want to go back on that. So you guys have a great Super Bowl. Please be safe. Be responsible. Don't be crazy. Have fun. And um, get rested up, because tomorrow I don't want to hear jack squat about this stupid 2022 NFL season or this stupid Super Bowl or frickin' Pat Mahomes or any of this garbage... I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't care. I'm glad it's over. 2023, here we come. Let's get this thing going. All right. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye.